Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here at the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. Welcome to episode number 165 of the Foxy Podcast Show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment... We're going to be focusing on the work of the London-based label, Alter. This year marks the 10th anniversary of the label that is run by Luke Younger, who's an active musician and sound artist in his own right, perhaps best known for his solo output under the name Helm, and before that in the duo Birds of Delay. With Alter, he has amassed an impressive back catalog over the past decade that skirts across quite a range of genres while retaining a certain rough-hewn post-industrial or post-punk edge to each release. I had a chance to speak with Luke this past week about his time running Alter and some of the considerations that go into operating the label. We also discussed his solo music as Helm and what it's been like to be creative during this period of lockdown and uncertainty. You'll hear that interview throughout the show along with a number of tracks from the Alter catalog, including some new and forthcoming material. Before we move into the first interview segment, I'll play a short block of music from some releases to come out in the early years of Alter, starting with the title track from Hieroglyphic Beings, The Electric Belt.
Well, I thought we could begin by discussing the early stages of Alter and some of the factors that went into starting up the label. You know, it seems like, you know, a decade ago when you were starting up the label and your work with the duo Birds of Delay was maybe tapering off or dropping off a bit and you were transitioning into doing more recordings under the name Helm. So was was starting a label a means for you to, I guess, maintain that spirit of collaboration on a certain level? Um, well, I suppose initially that wasn't the intention. Um, I mean, the, the reason why I did decide to start the label in the first place was to put out my LP, um, which was the first release on the label. And then after that came out, it kind of uh, turned into this um, sort of, it became kind of like a black, well, it became a platform that enabled me to release other people's music. Um, but that kind of like really sort of like happened by accident in a, in a way, um, just because I sort of had the means to do it. Um, it was only like a few months after the first record came out that uh, I was in touch with um, Daniel Lopatin at the time, who was like, you know, doing his one eye tricks point never stuff, which was kind of like sort of taken off. Um, and he was going on tour with Jan Anderson in Europe, who's Tom Tonto and someone else I knew as well. So I just kind of made a kind of suggestion, like, oh, well, why don't we put out like a split seven inch for that tour? And they agreed to it. And then we turned that around in like about two months quite quickly. And then after that, it kind of sort of, you know, went from being this sort of like, what I thought was maybe just going to be like an imprint to just like put out my own stuff kind of like became this like thing, uh, you know, or something else altogether, I guess. And then <laughs> right. I, I just kept thinking of things I wanted to release, you know, I kept like coming up with kind of like, like vague sort of like ideas of like people I'd like to work with and realized I kind of quite enjoyed it. So, um, it kind of happened pretty sort of like accidentally and organically really. Right, right. Well, as someone who came out of a noise or more abstract music background, did you see Alter as an outlet to explore music that you were interested in that perhaps people wouldn't necessarily associate with your own musical output? And you kind of explained the the origins there, but I mean, as you got past those first few releases, were you thinking, okay, maybe I could do more with this uh, in terms of uh expanding the like sonic possibilities of what you're interested in yeah definitely i mean like there were, I, th I think that kind of definitely sort of happened with like the the third and fourth releases which was like the third release was um a, a 12 inch by a guy from london called designer wave who's like a very old friend of mine who kind of i guess like back then was making sort of like odd kind of bedroom pop music with like old synthesizers and stuff and uh the fourth release was hieroglyphic being um whose music i think up until that point actually had only really sort of been released in kind of like dance music contexts mm -hmm. whereas the i guess the release on alter was um the first thing to come out on a label that wasn't completely sort of like had its like feet in that world right uh, right i mean I'm, i might be wrong by that but I, I think that kind of uh yeah that was sort of like that release did kind of like help to sort of like broaden his audience a little bit right right because he was previously releasing a lot of just like 
12 inch extended singles and things like that yeah correct? Yeah. yeah i mean like he, yeah he, he'd done quite a lot of stuff on his mathematics label yeah um and then like yeah like you know quite a few sort of like random 12 inches for other like smaller labels as well um mm-hmm. but yeah that was kind of the I, I do sort of like seem to remember doing that record and then afterwards like a you know like a lot of people kind of like said you know, came to me and sort of said, oh, who is this guy? You know, I've, I've never heard of him before. And it kind of did feel like he kind of maybe got something out of that uh, release that he maybe wouldn't have done if he'd put it out on his own label. You know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned that. I mean, know, he, he, he might have a completely different perspective, <laughs> like take on that, you know. But yeah, that's kind of how I sort of saw it. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, I, that makes sense. I mean, I, I think given your background in sort of like the noise uh, scene, et cetera, and him being mm-hmm. more in a, a dancing, that would, that would make sense to me that introducing him to a different audience for like, like you'd mentioned, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you had talked about how, you know, initially alter was to put out that LP of yours. And it seems like as the years have progressed, that's become less the case. Like you'll throw some of your stuff up digitally, but as the label has evolved, I mean, have you wanted to sort of remove your output from it to to kind of avoid being that quote unquote vanity label? Well, kind of. There's an element of that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess part of the um, the way my own music kind of relates to the label is like I kind of like having it as a to be able to throw out these releases that kind of maybe don't need so much kind of going into them if that makes sense you know so something like the kind of two live things I did recently um it's kind of nice for me to have something that's like that I'm able to just you know use as a platform to get things like that out quickly um but like for my with regards to my own records I kind of like I do sort of enjoy putting those in into other people's hands um I, I do like having that kind of like collaborative aspect with another label um who is ultimately sort of responsible for kind of like putting it in other people's ears i think that's kind of something i've like maybe found it a little difficult to do with my own music like the yeah. whole kind of pr aspect kind of right. feels a little bit unnatural to me in terms of doing it for myself you know yeah oh i can understand that i mean you yeah. put all the work into recording and doing it and then to flip around and almost be like the the promo business side of it almost like exactly yeah. it makes it difficult yeah. to do you have a different yeah. relationship with the work in that sense yeah for sure um and i think that you know like some people are like really good at doing that you know and uh there are like obviously like financial like benefits to doing that but um and you know it's something that i wouldn't rule out to doing in the future but uh for now i kind of like do enjoy sort of like working with you know like i've been working with pan for years now and that's kind of you know it's always been a good relationship and did a record with the trilogy tapes a few years ago it's like another friend so it's kind of nice to kind of have these like other little sort of experiences outside of like running my own label as well yeah yeah well this is a good kind of like uh transition from that i from that idea that you mentioned because because you know giving your work as a musician and having worked with a number of labels over the years can you describe what your general involvement uh is like with with each given release i mean are you pretty hands-on in the overall production or is it just submit things as is or well, do you I guess like it... to collaborate with 
folks on each each release? It sort of depends on the artist, really. I mean, like one of the things that I um, like, I I kind of like the artist to sort of like have as much sort of control and say over what they want to put out, you know. So like, and sometimes an artist or a band will have a pretty clear vision and will come to you with like essentially a fully finished product, you know, with art, artwork and everything. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's great. Sometimes I kind of think maybe this could need a little bit of tweaking, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I always do kind of like give my own, uh, my own opinion with regards to my own taste and how like I think things should look sometimes. But ultimately it is the art, you know, I, I, I do like the artists to have their own kind of like, like their own vision sort of carried out to the best right that it can be you know right and um, you're there to kind of facilitate that yeah yeah that, essentially yeah 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 so it's just kind of like have no idea you know like they they um you know like they, they do want your help and they want your input and that's kind of like why they've decided to release their record with you and you know that that's you know both both sides of uh that particular coin and kind of you know they have their sort of like plus points i guess you know it's interesting i feel like we're 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 interviewing like within its own sound art piece right now with the uh <laughs> the, the uh, garbage trucks in the background yeah. this is quite interesting yeah well if you ever hear this on like a future helm record you might know where it's come from yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well when you talk about working with artists i mean in terms of your label do you see it more as like a, a, a private press affair where you're reaching out or, I mean, are you open to receiving demos and things like that and working through that process? It's definitely like, I'd, I'd say it's definitely 50, 50 with regards to like, you know, what, um, like how things end up coming out on the label and the, you know, it, like there's artists that I do kind of like pursue an approach and then, um, I would say about half of it is just people sending me things and or suggesting things and you know then kind of like we, we just sort of like go from there um i mean a lot of the people who who do suggest things to me and do send things to me are people that i have known for a long time generally you know so it's kind of like i don't think there's been many times where i've received an unsolicited demo and like thought oh this is great i've got to put it out you know i don't mm. I, I don't think any release on altar has ever come from an unsolicited demo um right. but like a you know a large part of the discography has come from you know people sending me things or they, either, even if i don't know the artists like maybe we have a mutual friend in common and they've said you know like this is uh you should maybe send this to luke and you know he might put right. it out on altar right right well, this past year marked a milestone for the label and that you issued your 50th release, which, I mean, you know, let's face it, working in this area, mm. that's, that, that is something, well, too, I guess. Actually, it was 60. What? Was it 60? Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I think we have ah. like, maybe just over 60, actually. But the, 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 the compilation was the 50th release, got which it, came got out it. last year. But that was, um, that sort of, like came out slightly ahead in the discography schedule so, sure things got yeah. thrown off a little bit yeah exactly. well, 
Yeah, well, it's a it's a great compilation, but I know in the the press that you said, and I'll quote what it read. It says, "Each piece on Alert is bound by a distinctly punk attitude, a form of exp- uh, experimentalism that skirts across genre markers and forces you to sit up and pay attention." And I was wondering if that, in essence, is kind of the the motto of of Alter Records. Yeah, I think you could probably you could probably definitely make comparisons with the um, intent and what I'd sort of want people to view the label as from from that. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, like I guess I just kind of like wanted it to be uh, a platform that sort of drew dots between like various interests I. I had with regards to music, you know, um, and sort of like put across in kind of a playful sort of like uh, not overly sort of, sort of serious way, I guess. Sure. Um, and I think the the idea behind the compilation was to kind of like present something like that, which kind of like summed up um, what I wanted the label to be or what I thought of it as um, but using artists that uh, were not necessarily connected with the label um, or you know only released like maybe a couple of things or something like that right which yeah and and we're going to start this first set with a track from someone who would fall into that second category Anna Peeker who really hasn't put out uh, much material she had something on I think it was that long form editions release but not much beyond that so how did you you, like pluck her to be involved in in this uh, release well she's like um, she's actually someone I've known for about 20 years so she's like a really old friend of mine and um, I only she I only really became aware that she started making music kind of a couple of years ago or maybe a little bit longer now but um but yeah she mostly just been putting things up on uh, kind of private soundcloud and I heard a couple of tracks and initially she was supposed to do a cassette release for the label um but I'm still waiting for the for the master <laughs> yeah and that's the only thing that's come out uh so far i think on a kind of you know sort of like physical release i don't think she's done any sort of like cassettes or anything but she does kind of put things up online every now and again so yeah yeah, yeah. well let's play something so this is from that alert compilation this is anna peeker
You've always been the same Since then You don't have to try Since when Have you gotten by
So since this past week, there's been this uh, endless commentary online. I don't know why you go online anymore, but uh, anyway, <laughs> or on the social media, I should say, but uh, about kind of comments that the Spotify CEO said about uh, artists, they can't record music once every three to four years and think it's going to be enough. And I, th- I thought I'd ask us a few questions related to this t- uh, for you. Uh, first, you know, how do you view streaming services and handle it? from the label side of things. And I guess second, for those involved in this area of fringe music that doesn't really lend itself to like playlists, are there any good reasons to take part in these types of platforms? And I guess maybe I should frame that around just the idea of Spotify. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, it, to be, if I'm being completely honest, it's something I sort of don't really give a huge amount of thought to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, I think like we've all just kind of like ended up sort of like walking into a situation where we've just sort of like come to accept this. And I think kind of probably like one of the sort of like things that's slightly annoying about it is how underground music in recent years feels like it's sort of been forced into fitting mainstream commercial like platforms of presentation I suppose you know I mean like I'm not totally against uh digital music um and I understand like things have got to sort of you know go on and progress but just like this whole thing about um you know like Spotify and like you know like having to sort of like tailor your music and your releases to kind of like fit their ways of promotion. Um, I don't know. It's it like, it kind of seems something like that's the antithesis of what a lot of underground music sort of like seems to stand for. Um, and then, you know, like there's obviously, you know, like massive problems with like Spotify and like how they, uh, you know, like what they, the way they sort of pay back royalties and income to artists and labels. Um, but I mean, having said all this, you know, like if it wasn't for Spotify, it would, uh, you know, like that, that is actually quite a large chunk of our sort of like digital um, income. 
so you know like i think like every every quarter like spotify is about like half of what our digital income is from our you know the, everything collected from our sort of like distribution channels so uh, so people are using it you know um mm-hmm. i don't think any any answers as to how you know like I, I i certainly don't think the answer is to just like withdraw all content from there but you know if it does make you wonder, you know, like what if like every, you know, that there was a sort of like organized, like, you know, music wide sort of uh, plan to do that one day, you know, have like what if it would have any sort of um, impact on the situation at all. Right, right, yeah. right. How have the events of these past several months, you know, what, what we've been giving it with the pandemic and social unrest and economic fallout and all that how has that impacted your handling of alter and i guess how do you plan to move forward for the rest of 2020 and i guess to kind of add to that how have things like maybe you know band camp day or these fee waving days or even series like john abbey's amplify 2020 or some of these concert series i mean do you feel like these are things that have encouraged or I guess sort of built more of this sense of community and people starting to step up and recognize that they have to support um, labels, artists, etc.? Yeah, well, I think um, things like Bandcamp have kind of made more people aware that they are able to support labels directly. Um, and they can sort of like bypass, uh, you know, like various parts of the system and sort of give money to the artists directly. Um, and I think definitely like I've seen sort of like an increase in um, like revenue coming through the Bandcamp site. Um, but I mean, like in terms of how the label's been operating since the pandemic started you know like i've kind of had to like move a lot of stuff into my apartment um shipping's become a lot difficult um so i'm shipping like about twice a month now not using the post office and having to arrange collections so logistically um i've had to sort of like reconfigure the way i run the label in terms of like releasing things it kind of hasn't really slowed the schedule down yet but um I think that could potentially be something that could affect it in the next 12 months, you know, like what with the fact that we have like a recession looming and things like that and um, the potential of like more lockdowns in the future. Um, yeah, things like that could sort of like have an effect on the schedule. But yeah, for now, it's kind of like not been too bad. Yeah. Have you have you felt relu- reluctant kind of moving forward as is? I mean, uh, just knowing with all these uncertainties or do you feel like you just, it's better off just to keep pushing on through well, all this? Well, I've, I've been slightly, appre- I've, I, I was slightly apprehensive, but I'm kind of, well, perhaps stubbornly, I am sort of like uh, pl- plowing on with what I've sort of like had arranged before. Um, but, you know, like, I guess with some element of trepidation right right, right. well you you have some new releases coming out we we are speaking on a band camp day and you have a couple of releases that are up on uh your 
alter Bandcamp site right now. And one of those is a release that I've been quite fond of is this new one from Malvern Broom. And I should also maybe mention that there's another one from Nick Klein too mm. uh, that's available but today. But this is actually, I want to speak specifically because I'm going to play a track from this Malvern Broom track. But first kind of full-length official release that you put out from him from a really promising new kind of UK-based sound artist. Can you tell us a yeah. little bit more about his work and how you came across that? Yeah, he's, um, like, I think he did, like, well, he he had one cassette uh, out last year sometime, which was kind of like a, more of like a collection of things. But there's, I guess this is like his first proper LP. But um, he was someone I kind of came to uh, be aware of through the punk scene because he plays bass in a band called Pink Grip, mm-hmm. um, who were mutual friends of mine. And then... I became aware of his solo stuff just kind of like through um, like chatting with him and stuff. And um, he came and I did a residency at Cafe Otto last year and he ended up stepping in last minute for an artist that had cancelled. And um, yeah, his set blew me away. So ever since then, like, you know, we've kind of we kept in touch more frequently and then the records kind of came came out of that. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's play something from that, and then we'll come back and talk maybe a little bit more about your work and your recording. So this is a piece from Malvern Broom's new album called Tentrals. Yeah. It's called Dripped Log and Last Stretch. Thank you. 
In an interview that you did around the time of your Chemical Flowers release last year, you described how that album was recorded out in kind of the countryside studio on your own, and you noted that isolation and solitude can be comforting and beneficial when recording music, I find. And I think of the idea of attempting to channel some of that a- atmosphere end quote. <laughs> but uh, how have the recent months of social isolation uh, impacted your creative practice? I mean, have you found it difficult to be creative or has this period of lockdown offered you, I guess, time to explore new things that maybe you previously wouldn't have dreamt of doing? Well, I've not really been, um, I've not really been that creative, I have to say, actually. Um, I find it difficult to be creative at home. And part of the the whole lockdown thing um, has meant the also the fact that I've you know I I don't live alone I live with um, my girlfriend you know so we're both sharing the space this kind of flat together um, and she's been working as well so um, the opportunities for being creative have not really been sort of there. Um, but also, you know, it's as something I kind of said to you then, it's like feels like it has been a little bit of a weird time to be creative. And I think it's going to take a lot of like a bit of getting used to this situation um, and what's going on in the world to find ways to be creative in something that feels meaningful, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chemical Flowers was perhaps like the most collaborative album that you released under the name Helm. Mm. And, you know, as that project has gone on, you know, I guess what, 15 years or something like that now, you know, have have you found it more important to get others involved, I guess, to sort of keep it fresh and, and for you and to kind of maybe push you in directions that maybe you wouldn't go down if it was just you on your own? Well, I think that, like with regards to the collaborations on Chemical Flowers, it was like a lot of things that um, ideas that I had that I wasn't necessarily able to carry out myself. Um, so, for instance, like using a lot of, you know, the, the strings, um, that was something I could only really sort of achieve by collaborating with other people. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, once you've been sort of doing a project for essentially by yourself, for, you know, the best part of like 15 years, like 
bringing some new people in to kind of like guide it in new directions is probably a, a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, you had mentioned just earlier that, you know, you had met Melvern kind of through the punk scene. It w- was that kind mm-hmm. of your initial thing that infected you with the, the desire to, to make music? Was it through kind of coming up in like oh, punk yeah, bands yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, the, the, like as a teenager, I used to listen to like a, do- a lot of different kinds of stuff, you know, which is like, I guess, something that's reflected in the label now. But, um, you know, I was like into electronic music in my sort of teenage years, but also I was into like a lot of guitar music as well. And like, I guess punk was significant because that was the first time I'd ever sort of encountered uh, DIY community within um, sort of guitar or like rock music, I guess. Um, and yeah, that was significant with regards to, you know, how I like began to sort of engage and collaborate with other people. Mm-hmm. Did you, was it till much later though, that you were really kind of a part of that yourself? Cause I'm thinking of like, you know, even within the last, the span of the last 10 years, you did, you were involved in that band, the lowest form. Yeah. And I'm wondering like, was there much, other guitar-based activity prior to that? I mean, or was that one of, like, the first bands that you were contributing to in that sense? Well, no, they were the, the, like, I suppose 20 years ago, I was in a another band as well with um, the my friend Tom, who did that project Designer Wave I mentioned earlier, it's the yeah. third release on Alter, and the guitarist James Blackshaw, um, and we, we, we had a group together with another two people, which uh, that only lasted for a year, but we played quite a lot of gigs in that time. It was kind of like a synth punk band. Um, so th- there was like some sort of experience like prior to that of playing guitar music, but it was only really kind of like, but I, I guess when Birds of Delay started, that was like the first time I had, you know, sort of regular consistent and sustained sort of experience playing gigs traveling with music and meeting other people right 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 you know as you look back at at the body of i guess solo work in this case that you've created over the years you know what is something that stands out to you about maybe where you're at now with like your last album compared to where you were starting off and i mean maybe to clarify a little bit like thinking in terms of maybe your overall approach or maybe the equipment that you utilize or just the sound in general, what, what to you stands out as like, wow, you know, I, I listened to this recording here compared to that early stuff. What, what noticeable dis- difference stands out for you? Oh God, I don't know. I, I, I don't really kind of, I don't spend much time going back and listening to things from the past, I guess. Um, I suppose recently I listened to I, I listened to the first LP to an end recently because it had been 10 years. So I kind of figured it would be sort of like nice to kind of like look back on it with that in mind. Um, but I think more than anything, I think sort of uh, looking back, listening to something from then and now it just kind of like makes me think how how quickly the the time's gone you know and how sort of like maybe back then if like when I was making that stuff I guess all I really wanted was just to be doing it still doing it in a decade's time and I suppose I've achieved that you know so that's (laughs) kind of 
good enough for me. Like, <laughs> that's a good real, realization as you listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you also mentioned in that same interview that I that I referenced previously that you said that whenever I finish a record, I immediately consider the next one and the potential for where I could go. There's always a desire to make make it bigger and to go beyond what I previously did uh you never have the intention to make the same thing twice so i'm thinking i know you said it, it's tough creatively right now to, to do work but you know where where do you see helm heading in the next year or two or where would you like to see it heading in the next year i, or two? I, I guess i'd just like i would like to i'd like to just put out another record that doesn't you know that seems sort of fresh in the canon and what of what I've released previously you know I mean like like one thing I had been sort of doing before the pandemic was I had actually been sort of uh messing around with making noise again you know not for any kind of like particular sort of um thing in mind but just you know to see if it kind of still felt kind of fun to do just to turn up in a practice room with a bunch of pedals and you know like some noise makers and just kind of make a racket for like half an hour or something <laughs> um so you know maybe that could be indicative of what's to come you know like going back to the the roots of my sort of like noise making or like sound making or whatever and sort of like seeing what i can do with that and maybe where i can take that but in somewhere kind of potentially a bit more advanced and a bit more interesting than just sort of me in a practice room like yeah, yeah. Well, you know, ambient music was so big there, maybe it still is to this day, but it feels like um, maybe making noise really mirrors the sort of turbulence that we're living through right now. Turbulence and catharsis in the process. So well, maybe noise. You know, I, I, I think that's one thing, you know, people are always like looking for kind of like cathartic music in sort of like times of, in the anxious times, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, if people are looking for something recent that you put together that's uh, noise-based that I found genuinely terrifying was the Sherman cat fight that you posted. <laughs> that creeped me the hell out. I'm yeah. not going to lie. That, so it, it, you should just explain the circumstances if people aren't familiar. I'll let you yeah. do that. Well, so, yeah, there's these... Um, in where I live, there's five cats that live next door two cats that live in the flat below uh me and my girlfriend have two cats so there's a lot of cats fighting for the territory in the back of our well in our back garden um and one day there was one of the cats from next door ended up in this like insane fight with uh, a stray cat that sort of pops in and like you know tries to take a pop at whoever whoever's around and I just, it was like the most insane thing. I'd like probably the most violent, like sound I'd ever heard coming from two animals. So I, I recorded it, started feeling a little bit guilty at one point because they ended up, they, they were on top of a, sh um, a shed. They ended up falling off and then I had to go and run and break it out. Cause I thought one of them was actually going to kill the other. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, though, so I just kind of like, uh, process this through like a Sherman filter bank and then you know like it I, I just thought it sounded funny so I stuck it up on uh on Bandcamp <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it, it it's genuinely really, terrifying like, it's actually kind of like probably I've probably made about 50 quid from that you know only like sort of 
took me about like 20 minutes to do but yeah, yeah. it's kind of funny are you going to take that money and and uh, put it to like uh cat food or like catnip or something <laughs> Uh, it'll probably go towards the the vet bills I have to pay for. Yeah. Right. Well, well, uh, we'll wrap things up here. I thought, I guess, uh, as to bring things to an end, maybe just anything that you can mention about you know what you have in store for the remainder of the year for either alter or just your own projects. Again, I realize that it's kind of difficult to plan things out, but do you have some? additional releases beyond the two that I've already mentioned in the show that are coming out in Alter? Yeah, so there's um, there's an, an LP. Well, I've got three things kind of like in that have just gone off to the pressing plant. Uh, there's a new LP by Cube um, who had something out on I think it was the Superior Viaduct label last year. Um, and this is like his kind of like best record, I think. Um, which I would say because I'm putting it out, but you know, <laughs> it, def- it definitely feels like his kind of like his masterpiece in a way. Yeah. Um, and then there's a, an LP by Tom James Scott, um, who had re- recently just had something out on Students of Decay. Um, but this is like a completely different uh, thing he's put together. Um, using kind of like it's a very sort of like dirgy kind of like beautiful drone record so yeah that'll be and, you, and you've worked with him in the past through his project was it Liberats or however you say yeah, that? Well, he was in um, he was kind of like a like a member of Liberes, um yeah. which is like the main guy who does that project John Hannon he's like a an old sort of like collaborator of mine but Tom's also done a few bits on like helm records here or there over the years as well like yeah 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 well um i'm gonna set up this last block i thought we'd play some tracks from from your back catalog here i was gonna try to stick within you know things that just came out on alter but maybe we'll branch out a little bit and maybe play some things that came out on pan too but i thought i would play something from this digital release which is a live recording from oregon it's called oregon crisis and it's a version of the track leave them all behind from from your last record mm-hmm. and uh, our most recent record I should say and uh, tell tell about how you composed that for for the live setting like how you brought in some of the like saxophone I think some of the string elements too in that track yeah I've got like a kind of touring setup which allows me to um, just basically take the stems from the records and uh, manipulate them and process them in real time live Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of what's going on with that track i'm using like a uh a digital delay um to sort of like process some of that which has some kind of like like almost like real time dub effects on it and stuff so um yeah that's kind of what's going on there Oh, cool. Well, this is it. This is going to be uh, Leave Them All Behind. And Luke, thanks so much for your time. Hope the cats are okay. Hope the garbage is taken care of. I appreciate (laughs) appreciate your time. Cheers. Been a pleasure.
To wrap up the show, I'm going to play a track from both of the two forthcoming albums that Luke mentioned are due out later in the year on Alter. The third album that was alluded to is from HMS RMA, which actually played a track from earlier in the show following selections from Malvern Broom and Container. But in this set, you'll hear a track from Cube called Neighbor from the release Drug of Choice, followed by a piece called Nightshade 2 from Tom James Scott's Nightshade album. Is it speech? Is it music? Blowing through walls and windows. Interstate
that's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I want to thank Luke once again for taking the time to speak with me this week. If you'd like to check the complete playlist for the show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase a copy if you'd like. You can also get more information about Alter by visiting their website at alterstock.org or at alter.bandcamp.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout.hotmail.com. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>